Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Hey, this morning I have an awesome message. I don't know if I could top Pastor Josh's uh, cute little Valentine's Day message last Sunday. Wasn't that fun? I'm just kidding. <laughs> this, is not, this is not the church to have the cute Valentine's Day message, I guess. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. It was good. It was powerful. I love that. And... Uh, this morning, I want to kind of continue what I talked about. Two weeks ago, I talked about being on the treadmill of faith, and I talked about how oftentimes our faith is like a treadmill where we have all this activity, but we feel like we're not getting anywhere. No, it doesn't matter how long you stay on the treadmill, when you step off, you're in the exact same place you started. And oftentimes, our faith can feel like we're going through the motions. And it's in a treadmill, the way that it moves is actually it's moving and fighting every step you take and stopping you from moving. That's the idea of the treadmill. And I said that it looks a lot like and it operates a lot like a people mover in the airport. But the difference is one is moving against you and one is giving you extra momentum. If you weren't here, I just want to give you that little... Um, snippet of it so, so you can kind of catch up and go where we're wanting to go today. Have you ever ordered something online that looked really good, but when you got it home, it was nothing like you saw online? You know how it goes. You wanted to save a little money and you wanted to uh, get it, you know, you didn't want to have to go to the mall and all that, and you, and you thought, wow, this is the exact same jacket I saw for $100, it's only $30 online, I'm getting it, and you get it, and, and it doesn't really fit right, and you call them, and they say, oh, that's, that's the Euro cut, or something like that, and, and you don't really want what you got. It looked great online, but when you got it home, uh, you realized that something was different. You settled for an imitation and not the real thing. Maybe it wasn't something you bought online. Maybe it's someone you met online and you saw them on their Instagram and he had like this this nice filter, right? And, and the verse quote underneath. But when you got, um, you got closer and you saw them face to face, all of a sudden you realized it was all fake and it wasn't what it looked like online. Anybody been there before? No? Okay, good. No online dating in this church, I guess. But the truth is, is um, often we get something that's an imitation. Maybe you've got fake Oakleys before and it looks good, but they just don't last. And my question for you this morning is, is your faith the real thing and will it last? Because oftentimes we, we go through the motions and do the thing that faith looks like and, and this relationship with God looks like, but when we get close to it, it's really cheap and it won't last. And so I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. Um, I want to give you some practical handles and kind of be your trainer this morning, if that's okay. Don't worry, I'm a trainer that hates cardio, okay? Never require cardio when I'm training. And so this morning, I w I'm just asking you to uh, lean in. And uh, I want you to take notes this morning. If you would have some points, I think will help you if you apply them to your life. Uh, I believe that a short pencil is better than a long memory. And so I think this morning, if you, if you take notes, your paper will not forget what you wrote. I think oftentimes we come to church uh, for the purpose of being inspired, but I don't think God's word is for inspiration only. I think it's for transformation. And something has to happen to, that shifts us from just feeling like, wow, I feel good after I leave church. I was so inspired to, I actually want to apply the word of God to my life and be transformed. And so I think uh, taking notes helps us to retain and also we can look back and apply these things throughout the week. 
As many of you know, I've been married for 17 years, and, and uh, we just celebrated our, our 20th Valentine's Day as a couple, and so uh, it was a big deal. We didn't do anything big, but it was a big deal to us, and uh, we've learned over the years to love each other, but I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you this morning since my wife isn't in here. Um, we still have some battles in our house. Anybody else? Can I get an amen? It doesn't matter how long you're married. We still have some battles. One instance uh, one thing I, that I need you to know is we only have in our household, out of two cars, we have one garage door opener that works, okay? Guess who gets it? Not me, okay? That's who you get. And the other one, we have one, and, and I try and make it work, but the thing is, sometimes it will take five minutes, and, it, and sometimes it just doesn't work at all, and I have to get out and go through the door and come around and open the garage door. First world problems, right? It's, it's terrible. And, and a while back, I was, I was struggling with this, and it wouldn't open, and I got out of my car, and I was just frustrated, and I said to myself, I'm tired of this. And, and this voice whispered in my head and said, you must not be that tired of it, because if you were, you'd do something about it. And I got to ask you this morning, how many of you have spent years saying, I'm tired of my faith feeling like this and being like this, but doing nothing? I think God is calling some of us to stop voicing our frustration and do something different. There's some things in your life you keep saying you're tired of, and it's time to stop saying that and complaining and start doing something different. If you want something different, you got to do something different. Pastor Josh said something really good last week. Basically, he said, we don't want different. We want the same, but to feel better. And oftentimes, we don't want change at all. We don't want to come to church and get change. We want, we want a, uh, someone to pat us on the head and give us affirmation and tell us it's going to be better. And I want the endorphins of saying, yes, I want to change and leave church and nothing changes. And, and I think we have to get to this place in our lives where we say, I want change and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to be reading from this morning. We're going to start in verse 7. And I'm going to read to 11, and it'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. It's, it's not wives' tales, it's wives' tales. I bet some of you just learned something uh, this morning. Rather, have your pastor train you to be godly. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Train yourself to be godly. See, I think oftentimes we, we think when we come to church on Sunday, we're, we're, that's, that's our pastor's job. He's training us to be godly, but the Word of God tells us there's some training that you have to do yourself. There's some things that you have to actually take home and apply to your life and train yourself. Uh, a relationship with God that only exists on Sundays is not a relationship with God at all. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Our mind really loves to stay in the same place. We've talked before about how many of the thoughts that you had yesterday, over 90% of them are the exact same thoughts. 98% to be exact, they tell us, are the exact same thoughts you had yesterday. We replay these things. Our mind loves to build grooves and do the same things over and over. That's why if you move houses or you move workplaces, you might, if you're not paying attention, find yourself driving to your old house. 
or driving to your old workplace because there's these grooves in your mind that your mind is an amazing thing and it can actually go onto autopilot and do the same thing it knows that you always do. And so it takes intentionality to do something new and to change something in your heart and in your life. Uh, Other things, I can sing an old song and I guarantee you, you can finish it. Don't believe me? Well, I'm going to sing. Remember the song that says, Whoa, we're halfway there. See, I knew you could do it. We just sang Bon Jovi in church. Come on, somebody. What about, what about sweet Caroline? Good times never seem so good. That's the club version. I know where you've been. Okay. How come I can remember these things, but I can't find my keys? Do you ever notice that? Like it's hard. It's easy to remember old things. I can remember my first phone number as a kid, 9425325. Don't call it now. I'm not there anymore. But I used to have this phone number back when phones had cords and you had to like have a long cord to have some privacy. You millennials, you don't know nothing about that, okay? And your mom would answer the other line when you're trying to talk to your girl. Come on. What about if I, you, you remember phone numbers too. What if I said 867? Right. You remember. We remember these things, the same old things. I could still tell you the number for Pizza Hut delivery when I was a kid. Does anybody else remember? 2204444. Nobody else in the valley remembers that? 2204444. Pizza Hut delivery. Because our mind works in patterns and they're developed through consistency and discipline. I want to give you some things this morning that you can add and apply to your life with consistency and discipline, and I believe God will use it to change your life. And I'm going somewhere, so I want you to write these things down, and some of these, for some of you, are going to be like, okay, this is the same stuff we've heard in church all our lives, but I want, I'm going somewhere with this, so take, take notes if you're doing that. Five points to train yourself to abide. The first point uh, is the letter A, and this is going to be an acronym for ABIDE, because that's just how I, I like to operate. It makes me feel good about myself. A, always turn to worship. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean like to sing songs now and then. That doesn't mean like I'll worship when, when, I'm, when, God, when something happens in my life that's going right. That means no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what song they sing on Sunday morning, I'm a worshiper. I have decided to be a worshiper. Like, I'm going to worship God no matter what circumstance. I'm going to worship God no matter what song is on the radio or they're singing in the worship team. It doesn't matter because I am a worshiper. This is important because you know why we need to worship? It's because we are not in a battle against flesh. So battles in the spirit cannot be fought with earthly wisdom and with the flesh. I need to tap into something spiritual to fight spiritual battles. You need to understand this because you are not actually fighting your boss. You're not actually fighting your neighbor, your spouse, your bank account. Actually, your battle is much bigger than that. And some of you here this morning, you might be asking yourself, why am I going through this battle? I don't understand. Honestly, I'm doing nothing for God, I feel like, right now. So why am I battling? You know why? It's because the enemy doesn't fight you based on the level you're currently on. He fights you based on the territory that you're meant to take. And so oftentimes, you might be fighting a battle that's bigger than where you are currently, but, but the enemy sees the mark of God on your life, and he fights you on the level you're called to be on. The truth is, the battle isn't even over you. You're already a son, 
and a daughter of the Most High God. You have a relationship with the Lord. You already won the battle. The, the Lord won the battle for you. But the battle is over the territory that you're meant to take. And by territory, I don't mean land. I mean your family, your marriage, your workplace, your school. Everywhere you put your life enters is area that you're meant to take. And so the battle is not for you. It's for your marriage. It's for your kids. It's for your neighborhood. This is why we have to turn into being worshipers. Because you cannot win spiritual battles with earth, earthly wisdom. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many people you vent to about your battles on Facebook. You're not going to win without some spiritual help. And that's why worship is so important because the only thing that shifts these battles is when you go through, that you're going through is the presence of God. I love the Bible and I love the story about Moses who's delivering the Israelites out of slavery. They've been in slavery for 400 years and he delivers them into the wilderness. And they spend 40 years in this wilderness. But, but on their way out of Egypt, they, they're moving from Egypt hoping to go into the promised land and they're being led by this guy who says, you know what? The shortest route is right, but let's go left towards the Red Sea. And earthly wisdom would say, I'm sure the Israelites were looking at each other like, who chose to let this, our, put our lives in the hands of this guy? He's like a crazy Uber driver. Okay, where is he going? I don't understand this. And earthly wisdom would have said they're going the wrong way, but actually we know that if they had gone uh, right, they would not have ended up at the Red Sea. They would have ended up in Philistine territory, and they would have been chased by the Egyptians, and now they would have been boxed in by two enemies. But the Lord knew, and through the presence of the Lord, Moses knew to direct them to the Red Sea. It wasn't the shortest route. It wasn't the easiest route. He had to go the route of obstacles, because the reason is the enemy had to overcome the same obstacles that they were going to have to go through. And so it was actually the obstacles that brought their deliverance from their past, that their past battles could not follow them into their new season because they went through the Red Sea. They went through these battles. It wasn't the easiest route, and I know maybe there's some of you here this morning that you haven't had the easiest route, but I want to encourage you that maybe your detour is actually for your destiny. Maybe we should stop praying for God to deliver us from our battle and start saying, God, sustain me through my battle so that my enemy can't make it through into the next season with me. Maybe it's the very battle I'm fighting that means that what I was fighting last month, last year, the last decade, it can't go into the new decade with me because it's going to be lost in the Red Sea. I trust God that if he brings me to it, that he's going to do it on purpose and with a purpose. Earthly wisdom never would have led them to the sea. But when they got through the sea, they realized it was the only escape route that could have delivered them from what they were fighting yesterday. What gave Moses and the Israelites strategy? The, the scripture tells us that in the wilderness they had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. This is a representation of the presence of God leading them. They had the presence of God giving them strategy on where to go and what to do. Why? Because Moses was a worshiper, and this brought God's presence and his strategy. <clears throat> the second thing I want you to write down, uh, the letter B. So we have A, always be a worshiper, and B, be a reader of the word. Do you know that we already have the answer to everything we need? Many of you already have the answer to the prayer that you feel like is unanswered right in the Word of God, but we don't use it on a daily basis. We don't ever pick it up. We want, we want a new word from God, and God is saying, I already gave you a word. Just pick it up and read it. 
And we think, you know, Pastor Brent, the word of God was, was written by man. And I want to I I explain this a little bit. Um, because man did write the word of God, but it's, it's very similar to if I pick up my phone and I send a text message to you, the text message came from my mind, but it was used with, but through the instrument of my phone to get it to you. And in the same way, God inspired, the, through the Holy Spirit, he inspired man to write down. God was the messenger, man was the instrument. Does that make sense? And we know that as we read scripture, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit because of how it is bound together, because of the prophetic nature of it, and all the different things about the Word of God uh, remind us that it was written by God. And I'm not here this morning to condemn you or to call you out for not reading the scripture. I'm not calling you out, I'm calling you up and saying, God has more for you. We need to learn in this season to abide as a church and individually, uh, because <clears throat> reading the Word of God is it's easier if you understand it's inspired, that it's breathed by God. Everything that God says, or anytime he breathes on something, it brings life to it. We often think the word was written so long ago, it doesn't apply to me, but I want you to think about this for a moment. God wrote the word through man at a specific time um, 2,000 years ago and older, okay? That's true, but I need you to understand something about God. He exists outside of time, and so when he spoke into time, it wasn't just for that time, it was for all time because he knew from the beginning to the end of time, every word in that would speak to you right now in your moment. You think it was written that long ago. God doesn't do things in time. So it was written for you right now just as much as it was written in their context back then. That's why in the scripture, I think we see two different versions of the word used. We see two Greek words, logos, 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 however you want to say it, uh, and rima. And the logos word is actually in context written as a whole word to the people there. And it's, and it's seen just as the story of scripture. But rima means a right now word for your situation. And oftentimes we miss out because we don't understand the Bible's inspired. We think it's just the Logos word. It was written for them. It's, it's just the stories. It's, it's what it is. But God says, no, no, there's actually more. It's a Rima word that if you pick it up, the God who inspired it 2,000 years ago exists outside of time and he was talking to you right now. We have to read the word of God and understand that it's inspired. You can't just read it. You need to declare it too. We got to stop speaking things that the Bible doesn't say over ourselves. You got to start reading what the Bible says about you and start speaking those same things over you. We got to understand the authority of who said it, and if he said it, then it's true. You are not what your circumstances tell you that you are. You're not who people told you who that you are. You're who your heavenly fathers declare you are. The third one, I. I want you to write this down. Invite God into your day through prayer. Prayer is not meant to be just uh, used in case of an emergency. Prayer is actually meant to develop your relationship with God. And this is important because you never know when life is going to smack you in the face. Remember we said Jesus had power whenever he needed it because he understood how to abide. He spent time with the Father. He was always in communication and prayer with the Father. So when circumstances came his way, he was ready and prepared with power. 
And in the same way, you do not know when life is going to smack you. How many of you grew up with a dad who had the look? Anybody else, your dad, like, had the look? You'd be messing around with your siblings, and, and you look at your dad, and he'd, like, look at you, and you'd tell your siblings, dad said, stop, stop it right now. He's, he, you knew what was going to happen with dad, but I got to tell you, mom's a little different, right? You never knew what was coming with mom. You'd be like, whatever, mom, and don't you ever say whatever to me. Maybe just me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the truth is, life like that can be a lot more like mom in that situation than dad. Life doesn't always give you a warning of what's to come. And I need to understand that by spending time with God through prayer, I can be ready. I can be ready for whatever life brings my way because I'm abiding in the Father. You need to pray every day, and you need to pray in your earthly language, and I want to teach for a minute here. If you can, you also need to pray in your heavenly language every day. First um, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. I want to read this real quick, because we haven't talked about this in a while. It says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So in the scripture, we, we read about these spiritual gifts, and one of them is the gift of speaking in tongues, okay? It talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's continuing to talk about it all, all through uh, 1 Corinthians and into 14 too here. And it's important you understand this because many uh, people will tell you that tongues, it, it ceased a long time ago, or that it was, it was only meant when you're speaking in a tongue, in that another language that the people could understand the hearer. But this scripture doesn't make sense in that context at all. It says if you, anyone speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. I want you to know uh, that there are two purposes in the scripture for tongues that we see used. We see people speaking in another language that is understood by, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, meaning if there's someone here who only speaks French and I'm praying for them, God could give me French in that moment. I don't know what I'm saying. The Spirit is speaking through me in French. We see that in the scripture. But we also see in the scripture that Paul is talking about speaking in tongues as a conversation conversation between God and my spirit that no one understands it, okay? And if you don't have the gift of tongues, this, this is uh, just important to know, and, you can, and we continue to pray that, that God would just give us spiritual gifts, and whatever that looks like, uh, we continue to pray with you. But I think this is important that we understand this as a church. I want you to understand this verse in context as well. Why is it important to pray in the spirit? Because in that time, when, he was, when Paul was writing this, there was, it was a Roman-controlled government in Israel, and, and Romans were all around, and so their culture had kind of intermingled with uh, Jewish culture, and the, and the people reading this would have understood something about the way Romans did war. You see, Romans, they, they, did, they did this thing where they called it the mystery. And all the, the leaders into the battle would come to the general, and the, the mystery was the overarching plan of a battle. And the only person that knew the overarching plan of the battle was the general. And all the leaders of the different divisions would come to the general, and the general would only tell them their part of the battle. He would give them a small picture of it and say, this is what you're going to do. You're going to line your men up over here, and you're going to do that. They would leave. Another leader would come in. You'd say, you're going to line up right here, and you're going to do this. They'd leave. Another one would come in. You're going to line up right here, and you're going to do this. And then what would happen is all of them would go to war. The general would sit up in a high place. And when he saw all of the areas of the battle, everyone executing their part of the mystery, their part of the plan, and they pushed the enemy back to a point where the enemy could no longer come back, the general would stand up and yell three words. He would say, it is finished. 
And, and when he yelled that, the, it would motivate the soldiers, and they understood that the mystery, the plan, that they didn't understand all of it, that all the pieces were coming together, even though they didn't understand all the pieces. And this is important because when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the mysteries of God. He's giving you insight into the full picture of God's plans for your life. Uh, Even though you're on one assignment, he's using your prayers to set the table for all areas of the assignment. Uh, He's advancing them to a place when the enemy cannot come back against them to stop what you were put here to do. Praying in the Spirit is important. God gave it to us for a reason. We need to do it every day. D, don't just speak. Listen. You need to understand that when you pray, God will meet you where you are and speak to you. Prayer is not a one-way thing. God, we speak and God speaks. It's a conversation. John 16.33 says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, take heart, I've been there, and I can guide you through it. It's important that you understand you, can, you need to do life with the guide of God through his Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to you in prayer just the same way you speak to him. I went on a trip with my parents last week, and we had a guide, and her name is Siri. And, and Siri makes some odd choices sometimes and leads you in places where you're wondering, we're trying to get uh, somewhere 10 miles away. Why am I driving through a neighborhood, Siri? I don't understand this. Why am I pulling through parking lots, Siri? What is going on? Why are we heading south when we're trying to get north? But you have to understand something about Siri. She knows things that you don't know. She knows where the accident is. She knows where uh, the backup is. She knows where the construction is. She knows where the road closures are. And so you get faster, farther when you listen to your guide. I read this story years ago about this bus driver and he would, he would take uh, sports teams, high school sports teams, to their sporting events. And one day he pulled up uh, to, to pick up a high school track team. And he noticed something strange about the school. It was a little different. Uh, on the sign it said, school for the blind. And he thought, I'm taking these young people to a track meet. Okay, well, this is going to be interesting. So he picked them up, and he took them and dropped them off at the track. And usually he would go and get himself a hamburger or something. But this time he said, no, I want to stay and see how this works. And so he was, he was intrigued, and he stayed. And what he, what he saw happen was when the, when the gun would go off and the race started, all of the blind children would start to run. And at the end of the track on the other end at the finish line their coach would stand and throughout the whole race their coach would be shouting here 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 and the blind children would listen for the voice of their coach and run straight that way they couldn't see but they could hear and in the same way the holy spirit wants to be your guide saying here 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 and i know you can't see which way to go but if you can get the voice and listen to the voice it will guide you and direct you into everything that god has for you God will speak to you in a way you can understand. Sometimes it's through the word. Sometimes uh, it's through uh, annoying things like your spouse. Okay, that's the worst when God speaks to you through your spouse. But it happens. God wants to speak to you and, and uh, talk to you. Maybe he'll talk to you through movies. He talks to me through movies. I remember when I saw Finding Nemo when that part came on when Dory said, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. I wanted to stand up and say hallelujah because I was going through something at the time and it was God speaking directly to, to me saying, just keep swimming. Yeah. 
Maybe, maybe God speaks to you in other ways. He can speak to you through silly things. I had a, a teenager one time asking me uh, for a prayer, saying he didn't know what to do uh, in a situation with his girlfriend. His girlfriend was named Lindsay, and so I prayed for him. And he came back the next week, and I said, how are things going with that? And he said, oh man, God spoke to me. And I said, really, what happened? He said, I was driving, and I was you know, at a stoplight, and so I closed my eyes for a second. I prayed and said, God, I need you to tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. And he said, he opened up his eyes as soon as he said amen. And across the intersection was driving a truck. And on the side of the truck, it was a political sign, but it said, dump Lindsay. And he said, and he said, in that moment, I knew God was speaking to me. Can I tell you, God will speak to you in the most unique ways if you listen. He wants to speak to you. True story. Okay, and the last thing I want you to write, the letter E, we have A, B, I, D, and this is E, endure and never give up. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 puts it this way. It says, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. You know, endurance is my least favorite part of training. You know, like I told you two weeks ago, I hate cardio. Like, I don't want anything to do with endurance. And often I think our faith is like that. You know what we have to endure as Christians? We have to endure suffering. And I think bad theology and some misunderstandings of the theology of suffering have led us to see many people giving up before God's time. Not finishing the race God has set before them because they did not understand that this race involves suffering. You cannot read through the New Testament with your eyes open to suffering and not see it all through the New Testament. God never promised us a life without suffering, but it's led many to leave the faith when suffering comes. And if I can be honest with you all this morning, I've been doing ministry for over 15 years now, I think, and, and I've learned something. I've learned that pro- most of you in this room are going to make it, but there are some of you in this room who you are going to give up on your faith or your marriage or God's calling and his plans for your life. You're going to give up because you're not ready for suffering. You see, our culture desires a platform and comfort, and we see in Scripture a much different picture of Christianity. We see a picture of of Christians uh, preparing to die for their faith. They're ready to suffer. They want, they're embracing suffering for the glory of Jesus. James 5.11 says this, We count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You see, that's preparing us for suffering. Today, we leave a church body because we get offended. The pastor contradicted me. I don't know. He must, he must have been preaching to me. He knew my business. He did that on purpose. Or the, um, the worship team isn't just, I don't like it. They don't play my favorite songs. Or there's a better speaker over at that church. Or um, someone took my seat. Or, or they have better coffee over there. It doesn't matter. Can I tell you, how can we be a culture that's like this and a generation that gets offended by everything and yet embrace suffering? You will be offended by suffering if you're you're not prepared to understand that this calling comes with endurance of suffering. We have to understand that what we're getting into 
is calling us to this. How far are we from embracing suffering? How many times have you had a Christian come up to you while you're suffering and tell you, rejoice in this suffering? Probably never. Probably not. Because honestly, you, if, you, if they did, you'd probably get mad at them. And you'd say, like, how dare you interrupt with my complaining with this positive outlook on suffering? How dare you? I'm trying to uh, go through this. Don't tell me to rejoice. But i got to ask you this morning, what can man or the enemy do to you if you don't give up because of suffering? What weapon does he have to use against you if you refuse to be offended and you refuse to allow suffering to get you to turn around? He can do nothing to you. His only weapon that he uses now against the church today is the ability to cause us turn back because of suffering. So these are our five things today, and I think it's important that you understand these because we need to train in these things to abide and allow the momentum of God to take us like a people mover farther, faster than we could go on our own. I want to see the people in this church, your faith grow to a place where you're moving at a speed you've never moved before by the Holy Spirit. You're growing, and we're seeing fruit in your relationship uh, with God and fruit in your marriage and fruit in every area of your life, but you need to step into it. There's never momentum without movement. Sometimes God says, you just take the first step, and that's what training is. Training and, and doing these things like reading the scripture and, and uh, praying and spending time with God and enduring suffering, uh, these are the first step that we take and we watch the super, supernatural momentum carry us the rest of the way. You can't read your Bible once a year and get upset uh, when miracles and breakthrough aren't taking place in your life. You just can't. And I, wanna, I need to be honest with you this morning. Why? The answer is because we're preparing a temple. I want to close with this. This is what the Lord gave me, and this is where we're going this morning with all of that. It's because we see that in the scripture, the temple was a place that God gave specific instructions through Moses to build this temple a certain way, and inside there had to be certain things set in place, and then the presence of God would dwell there. And it's important we understand something that the temple is no longer in a place. Jesus came and, and that he said, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the Pharisees thought he was talking about the building, but he was actually doing a transition saying, I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about this temple. And as Christians, we are what you call little Christs, modeling after his life in the temple now, Scripture tells us, of the Holy Spirit is you. Your heart. Your soul is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we had five things. We had A, turn to worship. And I want to talk to you about what was in the temple. There was five things here I want to talk to you about in the temple. The first thing is the altar of incense. You know what incense is in the Bible? It, it's, it basically talks about incense and worship, being an aroma before God. And so the first thing we talked about, turn, always turning to worship and being a worshiper, is a representation of the altar of incense in the temple, meaning the temple has to be a place of worship. My life, my soul, my spirit needs to worship the Lord. I want to be a worshiper. Then B was to be a reader of the word. And in the temple, they had this place called the washing basin where the, the priests would go in and, and they would cleanse themselves in this basin. And the Bible talks about the washing of the Word. 
We want to be a temple, a, a habitation for the Holy Spirit's presence to dwell and begin to walk in power like he called us to. We have to first uh, begin to allow the word to wash our lives. The third thing was I, invite God into your day through prayer. Another thing in the temple was called the table of showbread. This was a place of communion between the priest and God where they would sit and they, and they would break bread. And this is a picture of prayer, of communion with God through Jesus Christ. And then the next thing in the temple, well, the letter D we talked about said, don't just speak, listen. Another thing in the temple was called the golden lampstand. And do you know that the golden lampstand actually brought light to the table of showbread? Meaning the communion that was taking place between God and man, there was a, a lampstand that brought light to that communication. And in the same way, when you listen to God, watch Him illuminate His will for your life. It's during your prayer that God illuminates and begins to light the table of showbread. E, endure and never give up. There's a place in the temple is called the brazen altar. And this is where the sacrifice was laid and its suffering was worship to God. I hope you see that this is, this, is a, this is an example of our life in our heart as a temple of the Holy Spirit. We want to prepare a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. There's some things we have to get in order. And I want you to see that this is not, this is not just a pattern. Pastor Brent, I've heard it before. Read your Bible. Pray. Yeah, I get it. I get it. No, no. You see, there's a, there's a temptation to make this a pattern, and that's religion. These are kingdom principles that God put in place for us to abide and begin to walk in the power that he wants us to walk in. But if we turn it into a pattern, you know what the difference is? It's the difference between Martha and Mary that I can turn this into a pattern and I can do all the work and wonder why am I so stressed? Why, why is this happening? Or we can sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary and say it's a joy to do all of these principles because I just want to be with you, Jesus. And I got to tell you this morning, I think we're moving into a season where we're going to learn to walk in power and in the, with the presence of God like never before. I believe it's going to begin to transform your family and your workplace and everywhere, every, everywhere you put your feet, I believe is territory the Lord wants to take. I want to see us walk in such authority that when we open our mouth, the Holy Spirit puts a weight on our words. Why? Because we put kingdom principles in place and I'm spending time in abiding with the Father. There's three things that, that were in the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the Holy of Holies of the temple behind a veil. Only the high priest could go in there once a year, and if he went in there with sin, he, in the presence of God, he would have died. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn as a symbol that no longer only the high priest could go into the presence of God, that we could. And that same presence that God wants us to dwell in this temple, it's important you understand there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. There was uh, the tablets uh, that God wrote the Ten Commandments on the, that Moses brought down from the mountain. These tablets are, are in the in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and they represent righteousness and the principles of God. The second thing in the Ark of the Covenant was manna. It was provision. 
This represents the provision of God. And the thing about this manna was they were at, God had spoken. They were asking for bread from heaven, and it didn't come like bread. You know what happened? They had to crush it up, and they had to grind it, and they had to bake it. There was a process in it. Maybe you've neglected the provision of God because you've neglected the process. Maybe God has given you something that needs to be processed, and you said, I thought I was getting bread, and this is seed. I don't like seed. I want bread. Um, the last thing in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that had budded. This represents the power of God. So true righteousness, provision, and power come through his presence. I think in this church we need to understand where we're going in this season. Our leadership is trying to raise up hungry ones. They want to go where we're going and want to abide in God and see the power and the promises of God begin to flow through this place because we've created a temple, not just in this house, but in this house. And I'm inviting you to go with me. I'd rather have 10 hungry worshipers than a thousand congregants who come and sit in church. I think the Father seeks worshipers like this. Jesus said he, the Father seeks worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know what God was speaking to me this week and I'm closing is, is that when Jesus was saying that, He was saying in spirit, meaning it's no longer going to be in a place like the temple where He was telling the, the person that He said this to, you don't have to be on that mountain to worship. He wants you to worship in spirit. The temple is now inside of you, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then He said, and in truth. And I think God was speaking to me this week saying you can worship anywhere you want in spirit. And the truth of God's worship that he is seeking worshipers is in kingdom principles. That he would wish that you would seek him in the truth, in the principles that he's provided through the abide thing we learned today. And one more time, it was always turn to worship. Be a reader of the word. Invite God into your day through prayer. Don't just speak, listen, and endure and never give up. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I thank you that it still speaks today. I thank you that it's a, a Rima word, God, for us this morning, Lord, right where we are, Jesus. Lord, I'm asking you to speak to hearts this morning, God. I believe there's a few in this place that say, God, I want to worship you in spirit and also in truth. I want to apply kingdom principles to my life. I don't want to have complacent worship and complacent Christianity and mediocrity. God, I want every promise and in your scripture uh, to be alive in my life. Holy Spirit, I pray you come in and work in people's hearts this morning, that you're drawing them to you. God, I pray you'd stir up a hunger in this place among people who haven't been hungry in years and the relationship with God has felt dry. Lord, I believe this morning, God, there's an awakening taking place in hearts. And I just pray this morning, God, as we worship, I, I pray that you would help people to respond through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I want to ask the, the prayer teams to come up front this morning, and we're going to worship for a couple minutes. And if God is speaking to your heart and stirring you and saying it's time to stop making excuses and it's time to make room for the principles of God in your life, I believe God is calling you into a deeper intimacy with Him and into walking in power and purpose like you never have. If that's you, I want to invite you to come up during this time. We're going to pray with you. Come on, will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? Let's worship Him for a couple minutes before we leave. But if God is speaking to your heart, I want you to come up right now.